Welcome. Thank you once again for hanging out with us. This is the one and only IT in the D show. This is episode 427. I'm your host, Bob Wallenspiel, hanging out with producer extraordinaire Randy Walker. A guest this week. We're, we're totally lucky this week. We have Nick Cavuto online. If you don't know who he is, he's, he's a national speaker, consultant. Um, you're going you're gonna to learn something new today. Um, he's all about entrepreneurship. He's all about being better. He's all about your personal brand. Um, he's got a Tons of great content, and this is going to be a phenomenal conversation. But you can find us online, itinthed.com. Do us a favor, give us a like on the socials, subscribe to us everywhere. Fine podcasts are sold. Uh, apologies for last week on our meetup. We uh, got snowed out. We canceled. Um, we had to. But if you look us up, meetup.com slash itinthed. Third Thursday, we're going to be at Yield Saloon in Royal Oak. Uh, same old thing. Uh, no cover, no speakers. Uh, just a good old fashioned beer and alcohol and a two dollar bacon on a stick. So hope we see you out there. Uh, Nick, how you doing, buddy? Good to have um, you on, dude. Thank you so much, man. Y'all are my kind of people. So I'm gonna get up to Detroit for one of these meetups. Let's go. Have to. Awesome. Yeah. No. So so the whole this this group all started, Nick, where we went to all these meetups and you'd get some clown talking on a shoebox about God knows what nobody cared about. We all had a beer in our hand and, you know, then you get like, oh, this is sponsored by and we didn't care. So we're like, hey, how about we just do it ourselves and not charge cover and not have speakers and not spam people that show up and just hang out with IT people. Um, but we did it in a way where if you were a jerk, we would call you out publicly. <laughs> Uh, so so we kind of built this community where people not they were they were scared to walk in but they knew if they disrupted the community they would be called out online um and we wrote a whole thing called don't be that guy and we wrote probably 200 entries of wow. people that we didn't like coming to our stuff so yeah it kind of built this whole thing but we uh we uh thank you and appreciate you coming on of course brother glad to be here uh, excited for a fun conversation yeah yeah so I mean, speaker consultant slash, you know, all the stuff you're doing, how do you start getting into it? Was it kind of like our journey where we're like doing stuff, failing, doing stuff, failing, and then all of a sudden you're on like this huge stage with people or obviously you don't start off that way <laughs> with, with a massive stage. How did you uh, get your start in doing this? Yeah, man. Well, you know, what's interesting is I've spent my entire life around public speakers, Um my dad was a street pharmacist turned preacher. So uh, it's just kind of like his journey, to be honest, you know? Um, so he had a radical shift in his life. And so I grew up in church, man. I, I mean, one of my first memories is sleeping under a pew uh, about three years old. And for my whole life, I've spent time around people who communicated really well. And um, through the process of, let's call it osmosis, I learned what was good and what wasn't. I learned what a good vibe was in a speaker and what wasn't. And um, later and years and years down the road, you know, I spent about seven or eight years of my career when I started out in uh, spiritual leadership, which is very interesting start to the game. Most people kind of finish in that contribution mode. I started there and then I've kind of worked uh, in reverse from that order. And um, so, yeah, I mean, I have a wild story around, you know, I've hosted over a thousand live events and when I was in ministry and never spoke on a stage one time. And it was in my own process of seeing my own ability and greatness and not just saying, well, because I was never asked you, it means I don't have a gift to do it. And when I overcame that, man, it was like just something birthed out of me, uh, a form of no judgment and uh, a, an ability to just communicate uniquely the way that I do. And the world kind of created an opportunity for me. I just had the courage to step into it. 
So is it all trial and error? Like, did you, is it kind of like, I, cause I always follow, like, I'll, I'll never do stand up comedy cause I can't, even though I love it, yeah. but they always do like, Hey, trial and error. We're going to go to these small clubs. We're going to test out these jokes. Some of them are going to work. Some of them aren't. Then when we get to the big stage, we're going to, we're going to use the shit that works. Right. Is, totally. is that, then you get, you get the crowd laughing the whole time. Right. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. I mean, I did it um, in reading people's body language um, last year. I did over 600 zoom calls. So you can imagine I know it's stories stick. I know it ones make people cry. I know it ones, you know, push people over the edge to really believe in themselves and get after it. And, you know, it's really just being unbelievably present to monitor and observe those things. And then, you know, you just have a conversation with people. I think one of the unique things about stages for me is that I feel kind of called to make them into living rooms. So it's not an area of pontification. It's a question and answer forum. It's, it's like we're doing here. And I think that's what people want. You know, to your point about the pub, it's like nobody wants some goofy dude with his, you know, his dockers and his loafers on to come on in and tell everyone what they need to do. You want to have a conversation with people who are like minded, who are up to something great. That's inspiring. Well, and that's that's the hardest part about public speaking is you can't have the conversation. Um, you got, you know, 300 people in the state in the crowd and you're you're talking at them. How do you get that where it's a where it's a conversation? You don't follow where I'm going with that? Oh, dude, hundred percent. That's why I'm glad I'm a church kid uh, from the from the get because you learn how to do that in church ministry different than somebody who's just a polished public speaker. You know, touch three people next to you and say this, or turn to your neighbor and say this, or you know, elbow the person next to you and say this, or even the call to action of like, so by a show of hands, how many of you, right? And that's a huge thing. And Gary Vee really opened up, I think, the platform for doing you know at the mic questions, which I love to do, and I'll do that in any forum. Uh, you know, it's part of my keynote structure is to have people come up and ask questions. So it's more permissible today than it was like, you know, five, 10, even you know, 15 years ago. But I also don't judge myself in the process. So if someone doesn't like that I'm doing Q&A at the mic, well, then you shouldn't have me come speak because I want to be with the people. That's the thing. I hate stages. I want to jump off that stage and get on the floor with people. Uh, but that's where my heart is. It's at the back of the room. I don't give a crap about the stage. Well, it's funny that you brought up Gary Vee because when I listened to you, that's the first thing I thought of. Yeah. Um, what was, <laughs> did he have influence on you? Were you doing that shit first or what's, <laughs> what's, uh, where's the, where's that in the mix? Yeah, man. Well, uh, you know, Gary and I connected in like 2015. I watched the FU Monday video, which really changed my life. I mean, it gave me the audacity to go after what I believed was my greatest contribution in the world and just to get after it. Um, and my mom had breast cancer. And so entrepreneurship was a tool for me to, to use for, yes, my greatest growth, but also help my mom in a very simple way. And after that, I wrote him a letter and I was like, hey, dude, like this is how you impacted my life. And that's kind of how our friendship started. And uh, in 2017, got my sister a gig with him. And, you know, uh, it's just been one of those things. He's a lot less accessible today than he was then. Um, right. But it's cool. It's cool. He was a staple in my life. And I really appreciate the blue collar you know, get after it type of attitude that I grew up with. Um, but since then, he's just absolutely been a pillar in my life as a friend, but certainly as a mentor and, and somebody who, you know, is really inspiring other people to go do their greatest work, man. So, yeah. It's funny, though, when you listen to him and, and, and you alike, it's, it's not, I don't want to say it's common sense because it's not, but it is, but it's not. But you listen to it and you're like, I would have run through walls for this guy, but he's not saying anything I haven't heard before. Like <laughs> what, what, like what's part of that formula for that? Is it just, is it an authenticity thing? Is it a, you know, it's hard to pinpoint what exactly it is. Cause if everyone could do it, they would. For sure, man. I, I think it's two things. I think one is the radical honesty. 
of, you know, you're getting the truth from the truth of the truth of the person's gut. Like there's, there's no shade. There's no like embellishing. There's not sugarcoating. You're just getting straight talk. I think people value an honest conversation more than anything. It's truly the highest form of intimacy is just being honest, yeah. which is seemingly difficult for a lot of people to do. Uh, and then I think the second thing, man, is like, you know, and when I teach personal branding, and this goes for IT professionals as well as anybody else who's listening, you know, people hire you for three reasons. It's your story, it's your energy, and it's your magic. And a lot of people feel like they're part of that vortex is, is the energy output. Like I'm, I'm talking not from my mouth or from my head. I'm talking from the velocity of who I am. And that's coming across the table. And it's one of my highest gifts, even on Strength Finder. So if I'm not being philosophical, but I'm being realistic, you know, uh, being a competitor, a maximizer, and an activator are my greatest strengths, top three. So that just comes out again in me being true to who I am and not judging myself in the process allows those great gifts to shine. And you know, stars attract stars. I mean, if you have one star out in the universe somewhere, it's going to burn out. Like it needs reflection of other people in order to stay lit. And that, you know, getting into the personal brand thing, this has been something not so much passionate of mine, but it's the reason why I started IT in the D. Like instead of um, following someone else's, create your own. This wasn't difficult, right? Mm-hmm. And I just had my, you know, my uh, high school reunion and, and all I did was call the bar and say we're showing up, yet everyone that showed up said, oh, my God, thank you for doing this. Mm-hmm. You know, I so appreciate it. And they thought it was a big deal. I'm like, all I did was call the bar. And for me, it's second nature. It's easy. But, you know, the, the whole brand thing, like, where where do you start if you have nothing today, like in terms of personal brand? Because I know a lot of people are like, own your name. Make sure your name, when you Google it, there's stuff there that's good. But I guess where where do you start if you have nothing? Yeah, I mean, the first thing to do is to absolutely secure any digital assets that are available. Your name uh, in the form of your domain, in the form of social. Like, I got lucky because I got a bit of a unique name. So, like, there's not many other people. There's two other Nick Cavuto's that are, you know, in no, the no, no. world. I, I, I Googled <laughs> Neil Cavuto 16 <laughs> times before I go, oh, my God. <laughs> Trust me, man. I went Fox <laughs> Business on you so hard. Dude, that's what happens. I get tagged on Twitter every day, man. I'm like, yo, that's not me. Come on. <laughs> um, but, yeah, dude, it's, uh, it's, it's funny, but it, it's true. You know, you want to lock down the domain opportunities of wherever you have digital assets are available. Lock them down. But a lot of people's questions come in, okay, well, I've already got that done. I have a basic website. Well, now what do I do? You know? um, and this is usually a pretty hard tipping point, point for people, Bob, because they want to say something. Like they have a lot to say, but they don't know what to say, right? That disconnect is the same thing when there's a dude at a bar who's single and he sees an attractive girl at the bar who's presumably single. Yeah. And he gets like really nervous and then like freezes. Like, I don't even know what my name is. I don't even know how to, I don't even have a basic conversation with a basic person. You know, do you, you do like stuff? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so true. It's like, okay, what am I going to go say to this person? It's like, well, <laughs> how would you talk to one of your homies? That's where the secret is, right? Like, it's an honest, true conversation. So I just take Bob's face and put it on the chick and then just go have a conversation, right? But that's truly what it is. It's like, how would you have a normal conversation with any other human being? It's the same disconnect that people when they have when they go online to go create content and they're like, okay, so they get overwhelmed with anxiety and perfectionism and am I good enough? And just release that judgment and just go like, what is a worthwhile conversation to have? And I'll give you a tip and a hint that's really powerful. This process has gotten other people over 1 billion views online. That's with a B, okay? 
First step that I tell them to do is share a transparent story. Here's the reason why is because it connects you on a psychological and or um, a heart basis with your audience. Talk about failure. Talk about something that you wish would have happened. Talk about so the first Google time you got me. fired at a job, right? So Nick, if you, uh, if you Google me on YouTube, sorry, if you YouTube me on YouTube, <laughs> um, my, after my TED Talk, there's a story of me telling a story on how I shit my pants on a date <laughs> on YouTube, right? <laughs> and I'm, I'm not saying I'm following your formula, but for me, that was a very... Uh, not humbling experience, but it's like, hey, I'm sharing. It, it's out there. I'm going to share with the world, and it, it shows that you're human. So yeah, I totally, I totally pick up what you put down, dude. Yeah, it's a human experience. That's what people want. People yeah. are sick of plastic, fake BS, automation, whatever. They want real. Like in a world that is seemingly so plastic, you know, you look at different even social issues that find themselves like online. It's like the viewpoints that people have when they see something on social media and they're like, oh, yeah, and I'm celebrating that. And that's such a great ideal. They wouldn't agree with if you were sitting across from them at a bar. Their, their online the, perception is different than what their realistic views and, and values are. I had a talk with somebody that I really admired professionally, and I only knew them from a Comic-Con standpoint. I always mm -hmm. saw him at Comic-Con, and I love Flash Gordon, and he's always bringing Flash Gordon stuff for me, and we buy it. But then his... Online persona, he started getting political and it was very angry and it was like pointed. And I kind of, I shot him a DM and I said, Chris, I go, do you forget who you're talking to? Like everyone that friended you on Facebook or, or followed you on Instagram likes you for something, not this. And I go, who are you talking to? And I think that a lot of people get caught up in that where they want to preach, but they forget that you're in your friend circle, right? This is our, yep. this is the people that there's some reason or another why I connected with you on Facebook. Cause I liked you or I met you somewhere and you were nice. Um, but then everybody wants to argue about stuff that is completely irrelevant. Correct. Um, what's your take? I guess what's your take on like, cause, it, cause you know, if you watched all the documentaries on Facebook and the algorithms, they all want everybody to argue. Like the pineapple oh, yeah. pizza thing is like, the, the first take, and then it kind of gets deeper from there, but they want everyone <laughs> engaged in arguing. Dude, totally, man. I mean, there's one sure way to clear half your friends list, and that's to make a political argument on any social media. Um, and I just don't believe, you know, my, my view system, my value system, my belief system on this stuff is, is very simple. Do whatever possible in order to achieve the highest good that your life has a, the capacity to achieve. That's how I live my life. What is the highest good that I can do? And usually by having a gaslighting conversation, doesn't matter which side you're on, it's the surest way to create confidants and enemies. And for me, it's not about being somewhere in the middle. It's not about not sharing my point of views. It's about context to the place where you're having a conversation. And so here's what I usually coach people to do, because uh, I've had this happen before <laughs> with people in, inside of like, if I'm coaching them or their clients or whatever. Um, I had a guy one time go on Facebook Live while he was in the middle of a divorce throwing his wife's clothes outside. Bad idea. Share a transparent yeah. story. Great idea. Do it in the context of throwing your wife's clothes out. Terrible idea. So I call him. I'm like, dude, take this crap. He was a lawyer, for God's sake. Uh, take this stuff down immediately. Your kids are going to see that one day, and you're going to look like a fool. Take this crap down. It is not of the highest contribution to your good. It is selfish, and it's irresponsible, right? So- I, I also had a friend uh, who's on LinkedIn who 
went uh, January 6th and was, you know, uh, downtown in D.C. Uh, oh, he, lost, he went from a $350,000 a month business to $30,000 a month in a week. <laughs> so, so here's the challenge, right? Is like, what's appropriate in order to have conversations? Number one, in my opinion, always ensure that they're uplifting. You should always be bringing people towards uh, a summit because our human nature is to climb. It's to do something that's worthwhile. It's to create a contribution in the world that's going to do something great. Unfortunately, our politicians, many of them, uh, again, no matter what side you're on, I don't care if you're you know, Trump or you're AOC, it doesn't make a difference. The conversations are so ridiculous that you know it's creating this polarization of what's acceptable by publicly elected officials in freaking Congress or in the presidency or anywhere in between. So the idea is very simple. Bring people towards common good. And if you remove politics onto the conversation, you're going to have more of an opportunity to not be judged or celebrated for something that's irrelevant to what you do every day. That's my take on it because I've had to coach a lot of people on this kind of stuff. And the bottom line is if you're doing things that matter in the world, I think it's very easy to leave the conversation of politics out and to include your values and your beliefs in a different way. It's rule number two on the list, man. Transparent stories and values and beliefs. There's that's yeah. the second type of post. And that's the thing, Nick, is like everyone calls it fake book for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I I came up with this a long time ago that the only thing I'm going to put up on fake book is this is what I'm eating. This is where I'm at. This is a friend or my wife I'm with. And um, or this is what my kids are doing. That's good. Because, you know, and I think and, and I struggle with it sometimes because sometimes you want to show that you're humble. And yes, my life has issues, too. But at the same token, I don't need to drag in, you know, what What does everybody have? Randy, I think you got, what, eight, 900 friends. I got, you know, 11, 1,200 people that I've connected with. Like, they don't, they don't need to see that. Like, if I have, if I need help or something, I will reach out to my closest-knit friends, right? Totally. Otherwise, why do I need to, you know, have gossip stories for the, for the, for the, for the mafia, right? Like, that's the way I feel. I don't know. What's your <laughs> take on, like, like sharing, like, garbage well i mean i think it it's kind of like reality tv social media is kind of similar so you know if i'm going to be involved they want it though that's the problem they want oh, it oh yeah well people are primarily using social media for escapism and that's that's yeah. a whole nother challenge uh that has to do with human behavior and much less to do with leveraging social media for business um but people are using it for escapism so there's like these these multiple patterns but if you look at the finish line people are escaping something and then being invited into something different so you'll notice that the keyboard warriors who come out are escaping their abusive spouse, then going online and taking out all of their anger and frustration, you know, in full out Karen mode. And they're doing it to someone who's well-meaning or someone who's not. And, and they're supporting the conversation in the other direction. You know, the bottom line is, and I love what Gary talks about this, which is that social media exposes us. And it's the most unbelievably true statement ever. It truly exposes us. People who think that certain things are virtuous you'll find them having you know, hate spewing conversations online. And I just try to get people back to the general concept that like anything else in life, whether you have a vehicle or whether you have a voice, use it for good, do something that matters and allow your voice and or your contribution to be something that leads other people forward. It, it's the, D, the actual DNA, the foundation of humanity should be collaborative in nature to do something great. 98% of people are great people. are crazy and 1% are warriors. Those two are supposed to fight together. Everybody else, we should get along pretty much just fine. Uh, So let's focus on the things that make us similar, the things that 
are going to uh, encourage us forward in a positive direction. And uh, yeah, definitely leave the politics out of it. Uh, it's just a, it's just a wasteful conversation. I call it the Keith Olbermann rule. Do you yeah. you know? Yeah, he, yeah. Was, he was very beloved on ESPN, and then he goes to MSNBC. He becomes a smug prick, and then he leaves and goes back to ESPN, and he wonders why half his audience hates his guts. And it's like, well, you did that, like, and that's why I never understand why corporations, businesses, it's one thing to have ideals, but it's another thing to be polarizing to the fact to the where you know. You can only go so far with you know calling like Chick Fil A for example, right? Mm-hmm. Half the half the community, oh, it's hate chicken, it's garbage. The other half says this is delicious, and the other half doesn't care. But it's like, why would you draw that line and make anyone not like you because of your your ridiculous beliefs, one way or another? Yeah, it's a it's a strange thing, you know. Remember when in the workplace we could never talk about religion or politics or race or anything. Sure, of it was like so taboo, bro. Festivals. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no politics, no religion. Yeah, I mean, straight up, it's like when you come in the door, you leave that stuff at the door, right? Yeah, it's not that way anymore. And I think that there is a unique, uh, you know, or philosophical finding of like as the work-life balance has gone like this, you know, so have the social and/or workplace conversations. And now it's a lot more permissible, be it more liberal in that way, which is, which is, in my opinion, it's a great thing to have open, honest conversations about the issues we face as a society. But again, it just brings us back to this place of like, what is the healthy balance? I think people should be able to have any freedom of speech and whatever the heck you want to talk about. It should be number one as it is, and it should never be infracted upon. Yet the concept of like, how do we have constructive ways of doing that filters into identity politics, which causes a chasm that is nearly impossible to to bear. And I think that's where people get hung up on a lot of things. It's like, oh, well, if you have one ideal or one principle, left or right, then all of a sudden, then your opinion doesn't matter in the boardroom. And you have to be very mindful of these things. And so I've taken on the position that I'm sovereign. It's like, I don't identify with any of this crap. It's a bunch of 3D BS. I identify with the fact that I believe that I'm here for a unique purpose. I want to love my family. I want to do a great job. I want to contribute to people who I believe are doing other good things in the world. And I usually have a t-shirt on that says, be a good person. That's my religion. And everything else doesn't matter. It just doesn't. So I love having political arguments, and I came up with this take. I don't know how many years ago it was, 5, 10, whatever. But if anyone wants to argue politics with me, I said, let's start off with one basic commonality that I don't think I'm right. I don't think you're wrong. Do you still want to continue? Um, Because my opinion is my opinion. I don't want your opinion to be my opinion. I think that's shallow and ridiculous. (laughs) And, And Randy and me are complete polar opposites politically. But we're really good friends and we can have intelligent conversations and not hate each other's guts because I have that, you know, I have respect for how he feels and I think he has respect for how he doesn't yeah. tell me, but, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like we have our own, but a lot of people don't think like that. They want you to think like them and I don't get it. Like it, again, don't be on social media and talk like that if that's the way you feel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's orderliness to your higher arc. Article uh, system of where someone's political views finds its way into your opinion of them. It yeah. doesn't supersede. It's that's tribalism. When well, you're a part of this group, therefore, if you identify with that group, you have no meaning, and it reduces the potential and the power of the individual, which truly should be the way that things operate. Which is, I respect you in this common respect of you as a person, which is truly what you're saying. Yet if you identify with these other things, it actually has a very low position on your scale 
because you see the individual for who they are. Because you said his name. It's like, this is Randy, right? Yeah. He's my friend and we love each other and we don't agree on politics, but we love chicken wings and beer. Great. <laughs> There's your structure, right? And, and, and a lot yeah. of people just they believe the things that are projected or the things they learn in university, which is like all of these systems are broken. Do they think they're going to solve, you know, um, uh, you know, for example, are, are they going to solve the, the whole concept of capitalism in our lifetime? Absolutely not. It's never going to happen. It's, it's, it's right. an idea that has shaped and shifted culture and it takes time to bear the sins of our past. If that's true to a group yet and, or to excel it forward to the other group. But the bottom line is, if we are going to discredit someone's unique identity and who they are because of a view that they hold, shame on you. Absolutely shame but I mean, on that you. was the thing. I came up with this a long time ago. Like, you know, I grew up in a Catholic church in the German clubs. And, you know, most of the people are a certain political way. And, like, I want to hear other people's views. I want to hear other yeah. people's life stories. I want to hear what you've gone through that I haven't or seen or, or heard that I don't know. Like I always thought that that made me better. Like I wanted, you know, different cultures, different foods, different drink. You know, uh, you know, I can't just drink Jägermeister and Lager beer my whole <laughs> life. I want to, I, I, I want to know, I want to know what's out there. I want other people's experience. I want, I want to, you know, for me that was enlightenment. And yes. and not saying that I'm the proper, the correct way, um, but I'm just saying it, it's it's a thing that I think got lost where everyone's now is talking in their echo chambers in social media. And we've lost that a little bit. Maybe it's because I'm a little gray in the beard and that's the way, you know, I'm old school. But to me, that was, you know, that was a big part of my life. Totally, man. Well, you know, I don't think they call it a golden rule for the sake of calling it a golden rule. And this goes back in history through multiple different eras of uh, society and culture. Uh, the idea of, you know, do unto others as you would have them do unto you, which yeah, yeah. for our generation is a foundation, foundational uh, uh, Protestant and or Christian uh, general concept or idea. But truthfully, that goes back for literally hundreds, if not thousands oh, of generations. Yeah, yeah, I think that's karma originally. Like totally. it is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. So so that's the basis of let's that's why I usually wear the be a good person t-shirt. Why? Because you'll never fail if that's your North Star. If you're gonna be a good human being and be thoughtful and careful and uh, intentional and encouraging to other people, it doesn't really leave time for the bullshit. It only creates space for what I believe are compassionately curious conversations. That's what you hold with Randy, likely, in a true heart level, different yeah. than what other people have. They're not compassionately curious to hear your opinion. They're loading the gun while you're saying what you're saying just to disprove your point. <laughs> right. So if we can practice compassionate curiosity, oh, that's interesting. I never thought about it that way. Tell me more. Could you imagine that on a debate stage? Oh, God, no, never. What would that do? What would that <laughs> It's pretty powerful, but that's the key to the heart is, is truly having empathy, caring and giving a crap enough to actually hear the other person's perspective based on their unique experiences in life and not shunning or shaming or pushing people away or blaming simply because they don't have the same perspective as you. That to or, me is it's actually the lack of conscientiousness to the highest degree. Or needing to win. I think that's that's too many, you know, like it's a it's an ego, you know. Anyway, I, I want to shift gears real quick. Um, <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Um, yeah, no, no, no. I could talk about this all night, but I want to get through the, a lot of things. Like, I'm looking at your keynotes and and the things you speak about. Yeah. And this one hit me because I laugh at some people that I know in my circle that abuse this and and, and are stupid about it. Um, but your social media keynote, and it's the artist staying relevant in a fast-paced world. And I, I want to talk about this because I, I, mean, I want to mock someone that we know. Or there's a few people that we know. 
that I think got this speech 10 or so years ago on how to stay relevant in social media. And they'll, they'll post about something really stupid. Like I'm eating a chocolate chip cookie, (laughs) dot, dot, dot. What's your favorite cookie? And 60 people will come and go, and I like oatmeal raisin. I like a brand. I like, you know, whatever stupid M&M. And it's like, well, what did you, did you just do that? Cause you wanted to maintain relevancy in, 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 in social media, real estate. Like, I'm just curious what your take when you say the artist staying relevant. <laughs> Please tell me that you don't say talk about eating cookies and, and pizza. And, um. No, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. Um, this comes from the, the concept of my buddy Scott Olford and I developed uh, the ROI method and I assisted with the process. I mean, it's his foundational truth um, as far as how marketing works, but uh, relevancy, omnipresence and intimacy. And uh, it's the ROI method. Um and so relevancy has to do with what I believe that most brands are trying to achieve, which is how do we stay relevant? Usually that turns into a DEI conversation very, very quick. Uh, okay, uh, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but truly being relevant to your audience, I think has to do with understanding the ability to communicate in such a way that explains the way they feel when they lack the ability to do the same thing. Do you ever have that happen to you where you have someone summarize something and you're like, holy crap, that's exactly how I feel and I've been trying to pinpoint it for a long time? Okay. You just said yeah. it, right? Sure. So, so that's the concept of being relevant. It's actually doing the understudy on the people that you want to serve on a psychographic level so high that you can define their needs and wants for them in a way that they can't for themselves. So that has to do with your offer, with your messaging, the way that you produce content, what conversations you have, if you use TikTok or don't use TikTok, right? Like we go a million directions about it. But the concept is that's the gold standard. If you can understand your audience in such a way that you can literally put words in their mouth, you'll win at every game possible. This goes for Pepsi, Coca-Cola, Microsoft, Dell, Apple, everybody. That is the mecca of marketing, is the ability to put words in your audience's mouth and explain how they feel better than they can do it on their own. That has to do, in my opinion, with intent, far more than it has to do with just you know your copywriter coming up with you know snazzy words. It has See, to do no, with your I intent. Was- I always thought, Nick, I always thought like at least in the IT world we're making it relevant to, to, to our audience per se, building the religion. And there's certain technologies like Apple built a religion, Cisco built a religion, uh, Splunk built a religion, and it's very hard to do. And there's no secret sauce on how they did it. <laughs> um, so when you talk about being relevant, like there's people that will fight you to the death that Apple's better than Android. And quite, you know, there's a lot of people that quite frankly don't care, but like, how, get, how obviously you don't know the formula because you know, we, we, <laughs> you'd be on an Island somewhere, yeah, um, exactly. but like building that religion, like how, like we say, putting words in mouth, like I, I guess expand on that. I'd, l- I'd love to hear more on, on what your, th- what, yeah. what do you mean by that? Well, so the first one has to do with intent which is why the hell are you doing what you're doing? And that's what Apple and these other big companies that created these zingers. And I learned this from the guy who, you know, created the corner of happy and healthy, you know, for Walgreens, the brand whisper, Arjun Sen. And it has to do with intent because it's your first step. And a lot of people, their first step and their intent is just let's make more money. Well, that's a winning or losing game, depending upon who you're asking. You might be able to have a breakout, you know, business and in two years sell for eight to 10 EBITDA, and YOLO, and you can go to freaking, you know, uh, the Mykonos and get wasted with your friends for the next 10 years and not have to worry about money. 
if that's your if that's your mode, if that's the way you measure success, dude, that's freaking epic. Go do it. But when we're talking about legacy brands and they, they want to be around for generations and for lifetimes, I always go back to companies or you know grocery stores traditionally, especially where we're from. You know, it's like it was the name of someone's family. Think about that. Think sure. about our grandfathers who were probably part of those in some way, shape, or form, whether they were vendors or owners or worked there. There was something unique about not destroying the family name, honoring the name of the family through the legacy of what was created, through the service that they experienced, through the way that someone, you know, when they walked to the grocery store, what they saw, what they felt, what, how someone took care of them and asked them questions and was thoughtful and acknowledged them. That's the whole concept of you know brands being uh, you know separate from the logo that they represent, but from the identity that has to do with what it is that they're all about. And most people skip over intent because it's so easy to sell ideas and get funding based on some big lofty idea because people just dish out the money for it. It's so much easier to do that now with no basis of positive intent because you're not getting sniffed out. Why? Well, because Betty and Johnny are not coming in your parents' grocery store seeing what it's all about and feeling a unique experience. It's just about a widget. So they're right. missing the bigger picture. And that's where a lot of people fall short. So the first thing is intent. The second thing is intuition. Intuition has to do more so with your compass than your calculator. All right. So your intuition is, is it the right time to let go of this person or that person in your company? Or when it comes to messaging, is it the right time to have this social conversation or not? Or this, you know, if you're uh, launching the next big idea that has to do with you know, global messaging and, you know, your next big move on your primary products. I did this managing a billion dollars worth of products. It's like all these micro products and widgets were coming up into the suite of paychecks, which I mean, is a $4 billion company. So like they had to go from being a, a payroll company to being a human resources company, a solution for HR, like HR solution, human capital management. How the hell do you make that transition? How do you do it swiftly? You got to trust your gut. That's what Steve Jobs did. He didn't let anyone bend him past his gut. Look at any major CEO. Elon, you think he's going to let people mess with what he believes is the right thing to do? There's not a chance in hell. <laughs> right. And so many people get so calculated that they're missing out on what is the internal response system. And by the way, and I'll, I'll kind of finish with this statement. So many companies are letting go of their mavericks, which are the people with these breakout ideas or who can connect this complex puzzle because they're seen as the smartest kid in the room complex, right? Like they're just, oh, it's just the, you know, you always gotta be right. It's always got, nope. They're seeing something different that you're not seeing. And if you listen, God gave you two ears and one mouth for a reason, right? I tell people leadership all the time. I can sit around the executive boardroom table and tell them the same damn thing. The reason why you're losing your great people and you're losing your intuitive motion in your company is specifically because you're not asking the right questions to the people who have the answers. Highly sensitive, autistic, uh, neurodiverse people typically have the best solutions to the most complex problems. The problem is no one's freaking asking them their opinion. And that to me is a tragedy. It's a total injustice. And someone like Steve Jobs, he did get kicked out of his own boardroom, but he would have been you know, completely exiled for history uh, if he couldn't actually have the guts and courage to get back up and do it again. So intuition's huge. It's funny you brought that up with the with the autism people, the autism things. We, how long ago was that when we had Franco on, Randy? Like uh, about a couple months ago, a month ago, a month ago, yeah. And uh, he basically IT trains people with autism, and he puts them in 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 pretty complex environments, mm-hmm. and they don't thrive, survive without having almost like a person there with them just to just to in between. Mm-hmm. And it's translator. I don't want to say it's sad, but it's it's almost like. 
you you can't put them in like a, a, a you know like a security environment or like a, a security operations center without having someone to intervene because the management doesn't know how to interact with them and uh it's a it, i agree it's a travesty like you know they have the insight that no one else can probably see yet you're putting them in a situation where they can't thrive survive totally i mean i'm add uh, borderline on spectrum highly sensitive neurodiverse I mean, it's might as well just put all those letters after my name, uh, <laughs> illogical, unreasonable, out of the box. There is no box. Take all of them. And I want to be anything the opposite of logical, which would sound crazy to a lot of engineers. But the benefit is I don't see the box that it can be contained within. And so when people are asking Steve Jobs about, well, why are you using this? You know, why are you using Java versus this? And can you really do whatever? And he's like, you need to lead people specifically into a future that they want and they're unaware of. Do you know what type of brilliant mind that takes? Let me ask you a question. Elon Musk, he said, 2025, we're going to Mars. Does anyone actually think that is not possible and he won't do it? 10 years ago, yes, the same question. Everyone go, it's impossible. Yeah. I want to be the Elon of companies and that's what I've done. That's how I've earned a seat at the table is having the ability to see that there is no box and I don't follow the same red tape and I don't listen to the bureaucratic bullshit. I find the best solution possible whether it's creative or altruistic or uh, it may be insensitive, it doesn't matter. I'm looking for the biggest win. And instead of bonding as a consultant with everyone on their past traumas with the company, I'm bonding on where they want to go and bringing them into the future in that way. So you brought up the term maverick. And it's interesting to me because I've never heard it brought up before in a professional environment, right? Um, A, you know, obviously you can probably define it very quickly. You already did. B, like, how do you know you have one and what do you do to keep them? Because, you know, obviously if they're bucking the system, you, you, you don't want to run them, but you do. Um, I guess talk to me about that because I'm, I'm totally intrigued about that that concept and that that person in your environment. 1996 Chicago Bulls. Who is the Maverick? 90s. Oh, Rodman. Rodman. Yeah. Never put a saddle on a Mustang, right? We learned that from the documentary. Sure. That's that's the Maverick. Usually you can spot them instantly. All you need is context. So if you look in context to your team and go like, who's the Maverick? You usually will find them immediately. And here's the problem. If you don't have a Maverick on your team, you're screwed. And on most teams, there is no Maverick. Why? Well, they've been put into exile. Why is that? Because they're 3% of the population. You know, Mavericks are either borderline genius they're the most highly advanced, high IQ, yet high emotional intelligence problem solvers, and or they're taller and better looking than everyone else. <laughs> Those are usually the three ways. Uh, and I've been... I mean, I'm the third. I know that. Hell yeah, bro. Come on. <laughs> uh, so, so that's the deal is there, you know, you, you kind of have um, these different personality sets that, that find themselves into your organization. And, you know, most teams do not have the... Um, temperament to be able to handle someone like that. Remember, there was only one coach who could get through to Rodman. And guess what? Rodman didn't even show up to his funeral. He was the only person who understood him and who, who got him and who helped him. And Rodman, because he's just kind of crazy, right? Crazy. He didn't Rodman even show, didn't show up to his Chuck, funeral. He didn't show up to Chuck Daly's funeral? Nope. I don't remember that, huh? Yeah, I, I ended up doing a bunch of research on it because I was just so fascinated with this concept of Mavericks. And and that's the thing I think that that sucks is like, there's not a place for me in corporate. It's too boring. It's too slow. 
uh, it's not uh, stimulating enough. It's someone who's a highly sensitive person, so be it that they're on spectrum, right? They get 10, 10 times the amount of data input in an environment than a uh, non-HSP person. So for every one sensation, I smell something funny. I've already had 10. It's very interesting, but it's how people are wired different. Why do you think that you know folks who have auditory sensory issues that they they have uh, they put headphones on? I had headphones every day. I worked in corporate. I had headphones on all day. I didn't even know that it was a thing. I'd use AirPods or whatever else listening to music or whatever because that stimulation kept my brain moving forward. Otherwise, I hear everything: the air conditioner going on and off, someone flicked the light switch on and off, the printer going on and off, and I sit there distracted and completely debilitated in that environment because I can't operate in the same ecosystem as everybody else. I, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm different by design. And that's mm -hmm. the conversation that I want to have with leaders of companies is you have people inside your company who are different by design, just like usually it felt more like an exile. But when I was a kid growing up in school, it's like, well, you have to go to the special room to take tests. It's like I could have seen that as something that was unfair or something that actually was putting me in the best environment to do good. And I think there's better ways to do it. But at the end of the day, um, you have kids in school who are like, I love listening to music during tests and other kids who are like, if I hear one ounce of anything, I can't focus. We're all different. We're different by design. Sure. The way we're created, that's what makes successful companies successful. So that was one of the um, – so I just switched corporate worlds uh, in my day job. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that they won me over is I said – and I and I kind of set them up to fail on this. But I said, talk to me about your culture. What mm -hmm. are you looking for? And without hesitation, they kind of stopped me. And they said, we're not looking for culture fits. We're looking for culture contributors. Mm. And we know that you do this, 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 and this, and you're going to contribute to that, 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 and that. And at that moment, after anything they would have said, they could have offered me whatever, I would have been like, I'm in. Um, because I always hear this 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 conversation about, oh, we have a tremendous culture. Um, we have a tremendous culture. And I think, it, I think it's hot garbage because I think it might be a fit for them, but it's not a fit for you. Totally. Totally. That's a bureaucracy. It's like, if you follow our rules and you'll be rewarded, it's like, uh, yeah. it's not going to work for me. <laughs> right. So the fact that they wanted like, you know, the culture contributor, I'm like, yes, thank you. Which means to me, it meant look, they're accepting everyone individually and allowing you to be part of this ecosystem. It's very smart. And I was like, yeah. And, and literally they could have offered me whatever. Don't tell me my boss is listening. He'd no, but they could. <laughs> They could have offered me whatever, and I would have been like, I'm in, because the, I, I crave that, because I've been part of way too many organizations where it was insanely homogenous. Yes. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I'm a type A salesperson. I've worked for the HPs and the Cisco's, and you go to these conferences, and there's 20,000 sales reps, and everyone is, you know, 18,000 of them are white, 40, navy blue sport coat, tan pants, brown shoes. Right, and there's a thousand women and a thousand people of color, and you look around, going, "Is somebody noticed this? Like, what? You know?" And to me, uh, I think I don't know if they were even cognizant of it; they just fell into it. Um, but I think you know. I guess talk to me. The modern company are they? Are they looking for this? That are they? Where are they going in terms of? I know we talked Maverick, but I, I, I'm curious your take on, on on some of the other stuff that's going on. Yeah, man. Well, I, I think that it's a very sensitive uh, challenge that every company faces. You know, um, I am uh, uh, very aware from the work that I've done in nonprofit, you know, like I have high sensitivity towards the individual 
uh, struggles of people and or advantages or privileges or lack thereof. Um, yet at the same time, you know, you have the universal challenge of, okay, so then how do we solve the problem when we want also certain qualifications and maybe those things happen and maybe they don't. I mean, so for me as somebody who has uh, some mental health challenges, uh, be it that they are, they're also advantages. I look at those as advantages. It creates this uh, polarizing kind of contrast of like, okay, so where do we find it? Well, it's in the vibrancy of the middle, you know? And I think that that's where I find myself. If you find great people who can do great work, give them the opportunity to do it. And also find ways, just like they have in golf, if there's a, and I hate this word, but if there's a handicap that's required in golf, is what they call it, or a, a signaling towards, okay, we need to, you know, if someone's playing at this tee or this tee or this tee based on your level of expertise, or if you're a novice or you're a beginner or whatever, to, to allow that pattern to be properly adjusted, I think it's just something that's worth having a conversation about. I don't, I don't have the solution. If I did, I would be on an island somewhere and enjoying a pina colada right now. But the concept is comes back to my basic foundation, which is be a good person, give people equal opportunity, find opportunity to do good in communities that may not be the same as the community you grew up in, maybe better, maybe worse. Just be a good freaking person and, and give people a hand up. You know, I don't think everyone has this disadvantage of where they're like, all right, if I put my hand out, you're going to pull me down. No, people aren't going to pull you down. You're going to have the opportunity. Yes, it takes more energy to pull someone to pull them down, but be a leader. Find an opportunity to give someone a hand, bring them into conscious competence, into a higher level of their ability and invite them in. You know, my business coaches have all traditionally, besides one, been minorities. I, I mean, I'm from New York. Right? I just don't see it the way that maybe in certain circumstances, everybody else sees it. I grew up very multicultural, just the way that I grew up. So I don't see it that way. But my mentor was like, dude, you know how much that mattered to me? And I'm like, I, I have no idea because I don't live life in your shoes. Tell me more. I'm compassionately curious. It meant a ton to him. One of my sure. clients is an African-American lady who's one of the biggest female public speakers in the world. And she's like, you know what we can do together? I'm like, yeah, V, we're unstoppable. She's like, no, no, no. Dude, you're a married white dude with four kids, live in suburbia of Denver. Like the people who want to learn from you are the different people that don't want to learn from me. That's like just not on the onset. And I'm like, okay. Cool. Tell me more. And she's like, well, I can reach these people, but you can reach those people. And together we can do so much more. I'm like, yo, I never saw it that way. I just wasn't, I didn't have the perspective of being raised that way. My dad grew up in the hood. Yeah. It's a unique experience, less than 1% that has to do with me. And I'm grateful for that. But at the same time, I just want, yeah, absolutely, man. I want everyone to have what is rightfully an opportunity that's, the, that's theirs. They work hard for it. They do the right thing. They allow energy and karma and all the beautiful things in the universe to put them in the right position. But at the end of the day, we have to be mindful. We have to be mindful that opportunity and position is just as, is just as important as the qualification. And don't let something silly disqualify someone. And don't let something silly qualify someone when it shouldn't. It's just, I think it's very practical. Give everyone opportunity. Create the opportunity. The OWGs, old white dudes, at the end of the day, I get it, man. I totally, totally get it. But culture shift has to happen within, I think, an organization, just like within a country. People need to be dissatisfied to a certain level. And not everything is going to be top down. Sometimes it needs to be bottom up. And I think that's how beautiful revolutions are started. No, agreed, agreed. And I, I want to end out, uh, I think this is relevant too, on, on something you talk, you talk about. Um, and I think it's very Detroit 
slash Michigan relevant is brain drain. And, you know, some people talk, you know, I mean, some people talk about the great resignation. I think it's, I, I, some, that definition is 37 million ways to a lot of different people, but I, I really want to talk about brain drain leaving Michigan. And you, you talk about, you know, best kept practices to retain top talent and to like kind of omit this great resignation, I guess. I'd love to know your start on your take and let's dive a little bit deeper on that and go, you know, go from there. Rule number one, if you want to retain high town, ask them what they want. This is like buyer seller market switch, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So now the organization is in the position. I mean, dude, the other day I was looking at uh, North face, they were hiring a chief brand officer, head of brand strategy for the whole company, 350 K a year plus benefits and bonuses. That's insane. Absolutely insane. Yeah. Absolutely yeah. insane. A year ago, that position would have been probably 200k less. Okay, they understand they're in the position of where they need top talent, and in order because well, they get lost, top they talent, lost their jackets to the Canada, whatever the Canada company, whatever. Exactly, everyone's wearing those now, and not North Canadian. Yeah, yeah. So, so isn't that interesting? That the economics now are applying to big corporations. Yeah, and and this is a great thing for the uh, for the practitioner or for the expert because you can name it and claim it, whatever you want. COVID, the greatest gift of COVID, because I don't like to talk about all the bull crap. The greatest gift of COVID was that it gave people the ability to doubt their external reality, to go like, oh, crap, things don't have to be the way that they've always been. I don't have to make a two-hour commute every day. I don't have to do this every day. I don't have to. It was nice being home with my kids, which then caused them to look at an internal reality of, is this what I want? Which then prompts the philosophical question is, am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Greatest gift. Greatest freaking gift ever. It gave everyone the proper analysis of, am I doing what I'm supposed to do? Is my intended purpose lining up with my actions? And for most people, total fracture. Why? Well, because 21 million people quit their jobs in the second half of last year, and 25 million people are slated to quit their jobs this year. That's 50 million people out of 100 plus million. We got a serious problem. So which what, is a great opportunity. <laughs> which, no, it's a great opportunity. And I think you answered it by saying, you know, they're overpaying now for jobs that they didn't have to. What what else is it, you know, obviously, because I see, we see companies locally that are like, nope, you will work in the office all day and they're getting people quitting in droves. Well, yeah, um, that's just because it's an old reality. People have to understand that um, what's the two, if you have a piece of paper and you draw a line between two dots, okay, you have dot A, dot B, you draw a line in between it, right? This is a great little test for engineers. What's the quickest path to get the dots to meet? Straight line. What Draw about straight you line? Uh, oh, I have another one. Closer together? <laughs> Randy? I'm going to change my answer. You're going to fold the paper. Fold the paper the in half. Oh. Fold the paper in half. Collapse time and space instantly, right? The straightest path is, is a line, but we all know life doesn't work that way. So how does it work? Well, you just fold the piece of paper in half. You can get those two points to meet immediately. That's exactly what's happening. So people are still operating like one of the corporations I used to work for that was founded, you know, by Tom Golisano in the freaking seventies, still going door to door every day. Well, that didn't work out so well in the middle of the pandemic, did it? Okay. What else is still so old school that it's irrelevant? You got to make those two points meet. And COVID was the greatest fracture of bending reality from the past and from the future and putting everyone into the present with present decisions. What's best for my family? I'm going to make a present decision. Why? Well, because now I don't have the guarantee of my job because who the hell knows what's going to happen. So that bending, and then you stick a pen through it, you put that hole through it. 
now all of a sudden you are in the present. You are in the exact moment right now. So yeah, old school people are like, no, we're going to maintain control because you're going to stay here and we're going to whatever. Smarter companies are saying, if you want to work remote, it's no problem. We're going to install software on your computer that will take screenshots throughout the, the day so that we can have a form of accountability knowing you're doing your work. That's the company that stock's going to probably explode next. See, the one problem is we, we live in auto world. And the problem is you got to show up at the factory and you got to stamp that part and you have to assemble that car. Um, and I, and I think that was, you know, that's one of the biggest issues. I know if you yeah, talk to a lot of the, sure, absolutely. But if you talk to a lot of, um, the auto guys, auto people today, they think they're software companies because of what they're building with telematics and build dashboards and, uh, communications and, and autonomous driving. Um, but you still need people to assemble the car, absolutely. Um, pay them. So I, Right. And I think that that's where it kind of comes into play. Well, yeah, I'd love to stay home too and take my kids to school, but that car has got to get built. So like balancing those two has got to, you know, I think more for Detroit than it is anywhere in the, in the country that that's got to be an issue. Well, Bob, you know, this as a sales guy, right? Like, because this yeah. is part of your world, you know, sales cures a multitude of sins. <laughs> yeah. You know, you pay people enough money, even if you, you know, and I, I get it, but you've got to, the hierarchical systems within an organization of, well, this is the budget and this is what we've done. And we've always done it this way. Well, guess what? We just had a global pandemic and we haven't had a hundred years. You're going to have to adjust bottom line. So you're either have, you're going to have to find a better way. That is the creative solution is you have to find a better way. So how do you do that? Well, you have to create a new reality because reality is here, whether you like it or not. So in my opinion, pay them double, find a way to do it more efficiently and pay the people who are there double so that when they, what are their families going to say? Thank God we have this unique opportunity. This is wonderful. Get those freaking things, those contracts signed, and get those people working their booties off and give them an opportunity of a lifetime. That's the thing. Everyone's trying to cut costs and improve efficiencies and you know everything else. The reality is you might have to make an investment in your company you never saw coming. But I don't know of a company that's over-invested in their people for the right reason that has failed miserably. I just don't, I don't, I don't see it at a grand scale of what you'd see in something like an auto city, freaking Detroit. It doesn't happen. Make an investment that doesn't make sense. Can the CEO kind of part with, you know, if he's a $28 million salary, can he part with maybe like 10 so they can actually keep the business? Is that possible? Can we reduce the golden parachute just a little bit? Let's right. think about this practically because the reality is money is everywhere. They just printed 40% of the circulation. Print a little bit more and take care of your people. I, be, people would be so surprised at what happens, but it's uh, bureaucratic bullshit. I don't know if I want to live in a world though where auto manufacturers or the tool guys are, are living in the metaverse and they have a headset on and they're controlling <laughs> robots in Dearborn from their house in, you know, Warren. Um, I don't know if I want to be a part of that world. And, and I got a bad feeling that I'll be retired or maybe dead by then, but like that's where it's coming to. And, and yeah, they'll be home and yeah, they'll be flexible, but sitting in a recliner with a, I don't know if it's a world I want to live in. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Dude. Well, there's always the option of just outsourcing it to another country. We know how well that's worked. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Um, yeah. Nick, I can't thank you enough. This is uh, honestly, we could have you on for another four more hours, but we, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I want to respect your time, but uh, you know, I, I can't thank you enough for the time you spent. This is uh, it, it's a little bit out of our wheelhouse. Like, you know, usually it's all local, but like, this this hits home and this is very relevant for everybody. So I can't thank you enough for the time. Uh, Nick Cavuto, dot com. Uh, we'll put all the, all the links and everything in the, in the show notes and uh, to your uh, YouTube, to pretty much all your channels. Yeah. Um, but you can. Uh, are you going to be around anytime soon? Are you? Where are you speaking next? Are you anywhere in the Midwest? Yeah, dude. Well, uh, 
so I'm in uh, LA, uh, Colorado, obviously here in Denver, Atlanta, uh, Miami, um, and South Florida, and then up to New York. So maybe on my way back from New York, I'll hit you guys up. But uh, I'll definitely keep in touch, man. And it was I was so grateful to be here, man. So thanks for the opportunity. This is your brother, Nick, from Rochester, New York. Dude, we're like kind of sister cities in a way, man. It's pretty dope to well, be here, and I appreciate you. I'm across the street from Rochester Hills, Michigan. So, I mean, it's, it's as close as <laughs> it's off the correlation, but I, I had to make some sort of a jump. But no, I'd, lo- I'd love to have a beer with you sometime if our paths ever cross, but I, I, can't, I can't thank you enough for the time. Nick Cavuto, uh, hey, we're going to wrap things up for this episode of the IT and the D Show. On behalf of Bob and Randy, do us all a favor. Drink up your drinks. Get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it. See you.